Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Friday, October 18. These are today's headlines. After a fierce gun battle in the Mexican city of Culiacán, a major controversy in Mexico. When the president agreed to release El Chapo's son from custody, we have details. President Trump's acting chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, is under fire for confirming there was a quid pro quo between the president and Ukraine, despite Trump's persistent denials. And Vice President Mike Pence announced a ceasefire in northern Syria, but Turkey's president is calling it, quote, a pause. Many lawmakers across the aisle continue blasting President Trump's policy in that country. These and much more today on EU News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. It was a brazen effort on the part of Mexican cartel members in a shutout in broad daylight. They tried to rescue one of El Chapo's son from police custody. Ovidio Guzman Lopez apparently escaped. Paulina Gomez joins me live from Mexico. Paulina, there is a lot of confusion to what really happened here. Please explain it to us. Hello, Carolina. Well, yesterday around um, 3.30 Mexico City time, Army and National Guard carry on an operation in a, a Sinaloa, in a Culiacán house where Ovidio had been located. Then this provoked a massive response from the Sinaloa cartel members that came from all over the state. And I got reports from people on the ground saying that they uh, spotted dozens and dozens of SUVs and pickup trucks with armed people. Then shootings started around 3.30 until 1 in the morning local time. And they were trying, the Sinaloa cartel was trying to pressure authorities to release Ovidio, which indeed they, they managed to, to, to release him, actually. Very dangerous situation. And what do you know about Ovidio's Guzman Lopez whereabouts at this time? Well, first I showed uh, a, pic a picture of a video that was released somewhere on social media to someone very close to Chapo Guzman, and they confirmed that he, it, is, it, it was a picture of Ovidio. Uh, Gu uh, Guzman Lopez, who is a son of Alejandrina, uh, of um, Griselda Lopez, who's uh, Chapo Guzman's second wife. And then um, I talked to the family lawyer, um, Jose Luis Gonzalez Mesa, and he told me that for hours they didn't know Ovidio's whereabouts, but in the night he was able to talk to his family and said that he was okay and was set free. Also, I know um, by um, Chapo's lawyers that uh, Ovidio's mom contacted them and tried to hire them to take uh, care of this case that never happened. And how has Mexican President López Obrador reacted to this? Yesterday, he didn't uh, want to say a word. He said that he was going to wait for the security cabinet to, to discuss the situation with the media. But early in the morning, well, he actually backed up the decision of the security cabinet to release uh, a video because he said that it was better, better for, uh, the human, um, for, the, for the civilian's well-being to have him released than to lose um, lives. And Paulina, you have been covering the drug war in Mexico for years and we have seen the violence in Sinaloa. How unprecedented was this attack? 
Let me tell you something, Carolina. In 2008, there, there was a fracture within the Sinaloa cartel when the Beltran Leyva group um, started a fight with Chapo's group. And violence picked at that time. Then in 2017, another fracture within the Sinaloa cartel between Chapo's Guzman's sons, Los Chapitos, and their rival, uh, Damaso Lopez, uh, broke violence again in Culiacán. But, but we have never seen a violence in, in a way like this. It, was, it is unprecedented, a historical day in Mexico. Definitely a war zone and very dangerous situation. Thank you, Paulina Gomez, reporting from Mexico. Thank you so much. Let's go to Washington. A bombshell from acting chief of staff Mick Mulvaney appearing to admit there was a quid pro quo in pressuring Ukraine. That comes after numerous denials from President Trump saying there was no quid pro quo. Mulvaney now backtracking on his comments. Maiti Teriano reports. Did he also mention to me in the past that the, 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 the corruption related to the DNC server? Absolutely. No question about that. Um, but that's it. And that's why we held up the money. Acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney repeatedly insisted the president did nothing wrong. So the demand for an investigation into the Democrats was part of the reason that he ordered to withhold funding to Ukraine. The look back to what happened in 2016 certainly was, was part of the thing that he was worried about in corruption with that nation. And that is absolutely appropriate. But to be clear, what you just described is a quid pro quo. It is funding will not flow unless the investigation into the into the democratic server uh happens as well we do that all the time with foreign policy and i have news for everybody get over it there's going to be political influence in foreign policy mulvaney's words which he later took back directly contradicted what the president has said for weeks but there was no quid pro quo there was no quid pro quo there was no quid and it seemed to confuse his allies on Capitol Hill. He admitted that aid, military aid to Ukraine was frozen in part to pressure, to put pressure on Ukraine to investigate Democrats. So Mick Mulvaney just said what you said? Yes. Okay, I, I don't know. I'd like to know what that means. Democrats who've been investigating whether there was a quid pro quo pounced. Things have just gone from very, very bad to much, much worse. Mulvaney had said exactly what was going on. There was a quid pro quo. All this unfolded as the president confirmed that his Secretary of Energy, Rick Perry, a main player in the administration's dealings with Ukraine, is resigning. The reason? Unclear. Rick has done a fantastic job at energy. But it was time. Mike Tinteriano, U News. And how will the acting chief of staff's admissions of a quid pro quo affect the impeachment inquiry? Claudio Cera spoke with Congressman Joaquin Castro, a member of the House Intelligence Committee, one of the three committees running the inquiry. Claudia? That's right, we spoke with the only Latino congressman on the Intelligence Committee, one of the committees investigating the president, and he told us what is happening behind these closed doors. Is there a smoking gun here? What is the actual evidence that the president committed an impeachable offense? I believe ultimately that there will be articles of impeachment brought forward for a full vote of the House of Representatives against Donald Trump, uh, the president. I can't tell you the exact timeline, uh, but I don't think that this is going to drag on six months or nine months. Uh, I, I believe that it'll be in the next few months. Because the other thing is that as more witnesses come forward, the scope of this investigation and the number of people involved and the personalities involved continue to expand. What is the evidence? I think it, it's the complaint, it's the, the transcript of the call that was released by the White House, it's all of the testimony that we've received in our committee so far. Uh, by many of the witnesses. 
Are you going to interview the whistleblower? Yeah, that's still, we're still making a determination of that. Uh, you know, we have the whistleblower's complaint. Uh, we also have the testimony of the acting director of national intelligence. Um, and now we have many more witnesses who have come forward. Everybody is very concerned about the whistleblower's safety. Under the law, the person who submits this complaint is supposed to be able to remain anonymous. Can you tell me what is going on in the interviews and the, the positions? Is it like a court trial? The area where the House Intelligence Committee meets is in a secured area um, in basically the basement of the Capitol. And when you go in there, there there's access is restricted, so the public can't go in. Uh, even other members of Congress, unless you're on that committee, are restricted access to it. And once you go in there, you can't take your phone, you can't take any Apple Watch, uh, you can't take any electronic device, a computer or anything like that. Uh, so it's very, it's a very protected environment uh, from signals intelligence or anything else to stop anybody really from eavesdropping on what's going on. The depositions that are taken, there's a transcript made and the witnesses, they have a chance to review the, the deposition testimony and they have to come back in person or their lawyers come back and review it. Castro said that Ambassador Gordon Sondland mentioned yesterday names of other people who could be central to this investigation, which means that there could be more testimonies coming. Now back to you. Thank you, Claudia Usera on Capitol Hill. And Vice President Mike Pence says a ceasefire with Turkey has been reached, but there are serious questions about whether the fighting has actually stopped. President Trump calling it a great day for civilization, but members of his own party are blasting Trump for abandoning the Kurds. Carolina Sarasa reports. Overnight, President Trump trying to take a victory lap at a campaign rally in Texas. We had tremendous success today. I don't know if you've seen Trump was celebrating what the White House claims is a ceasefire in Syria. The recent Turkish invasion sparked in part by his own decision to remove U.S. troops from the Syrian border. The president made it sound like the chaos that followed was part of his plan. Sometimes you have to let them fight. It's like two kids in a lot, you gotta let them fight. But according to the Kurds, since Turkey invaded Syria last week, 218 civilians have been killed, including 18 children. Over 160,000 have been forced to flee. Vice President Mike Pence announced the deal after a five-hour meeting with the Turkish president. Is President Trump sent us here to end the violence. Um, and to achieve an immediate ceasefire. But shortly after Pence spoke, the Turkish foreign minister, with a different take, saying Turkey got what it wanted. The United States has accepted the legitimacy of our operation and aims. He said, it's a pause, this is not a ceasefire. Under the deal, Kurdish fighters, America's allies, would have five days to get out of a stretch along the border, roughly 20 miles into Syria, that will then be controlled by Turkey that territory home to Kurdish towns and villages. U.S. officials acknowledging some may not want to leave, and there are questions about where they will go. And the U.S. agreed to remove sanctions Trump imposed on Turkey this week once a permanent ceasefire is achieved. Both Republicans and Democrats on Capitol Hill blasted Trump. The announcement today is being portrayed as a victory. It is far from a victory. Are we so weak and so inept diplomatically? The Turkey forced the hand of the United States of America? Turkey? Erdogan is saying, here's land that I intend to take. 
I intend to drive every Kurd out of this area. The only thing he's done, agreed to, is an ultimatum. The Kurds can leave this area voluntarily in the next five days, or I'll move in and take it and kill them. Carolina Sarasa, U News. And criticism on the handling of the Turkey-Syria crisis keep mounting. The president's first defense secretary general, Jim Mattis, spoke out against Trump for the first time at a fundraiser for Catholic charities in New York. This comes one day after the president denigrated Mattis in a closed-door meeting with congressional leaders. Let's listen. And some of you were kind during the reception and asked me, you know, uh, if this bothered me to have been rated this way uh, based on what Donald Trump said. I said, of course not. I'd earned my spurs on the battlefield, Martin, as you pointed out, and Donald Trump earned his spurs in a letter from a doctor. President Trump continued criticizing Democrats, this time during a rally in Dallas. Pedro Rojas was there and has the latest details. Pedro. Yes, well, President Trump took over this building yesterday when he had this rally. Basically, thousands of people gathered here throughout the day. Some camped overnight to be here yesterday precisely to see him when he arrived here to this venue. The meeting started around 7 p.m. Central Time, and while the president arrived, he went straight to combat what he calls the attempts of the Democrats to take over Texas. He says Texas will continue to be Republican. Let's listen. At stake in this fight is the survival of American democracy itself. Don't kid yourself. That's what they want. They are destroying this country, but we will never let it happen, not even close. Now, President Trump went farther to say that he won't allow the Democrats to not only continue with the idea of taking over Texas, but also that he will stop eventually the process of impeachment that is being run by Democrats in Congress. Now, meanwhile, Texas Democratic legislators also arrived to this venue earlier yesterday to make a statement against the rally of the president. We talked to legislator, uh, Texas legislator Jessica Gonzalez, and this is what she says. I think that, um, you know, people are starting to focus on Texas um, kind of early on uh, and, I, and, and we see Texas being um, definitely purple right now. Uh, we saw uh, many Republican seats flip last cycle. Um, and so I, I, I believe that's why you know, he's trying to bring some presence here. Besides the rally of President Trump, also Democratic presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke was in Dallas yesterday. He held his own rally in another part of town, obviously less crowded than this one. We were here until this rally here uh, ended, and we saw a large presence of police that was able to prevent any type of altercation between protesters and supporters of the president. Now, back to you. Now let's go to another developing story. Honduran politician Juan Antonio Tony Hernandez has been found guilty of drug trafficking charges in a New York court. U.S. prosecutors accuse Hernandez of helping smuggle almost 220 tons of cocaine into the United States while enjoying the protection of his brother, President Juan Orlando Hernandez. David Adams, who has been following the trial closely, joins me now from the newsroom with more David uh, first question, Tony Hernandez is the latest in a growing list of corrupt Honduran politicians to be tried in the United States after avoiding prosecution in his home country. Why was he never prosecuted in Honduras? Well, uh, the prosecution uh, actually made built their case uh, around uh, the concept which they used in their closing arguments that this was state-sponsored drug trafficking. In other words, as you said there in your introduction, 
um, the, the, he had the protection, allegedly, of his brother, the president. Not just that, he had corrupt police, corrupt military. Um, Tony Hernandez was allegedly feeding the drug traffickers information on police and military movements and radar so that the drug planes wouldn't be intercepted. Uh, it's obviously a, 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 what the, the prosecution said this was a narco state. And what does this mean for President Juan Orlando Hernandez? He was implicated in the case as an undicted co-conspirator. Right. Well, it's extremely serious now because if before uh, the trial he was an unindicted co-conspirator an, of an accused drug trafficker, his brother, uh, today he is the unindicted co-conspirator of a convicted drug trafficker. Um, uh, a lot of people in Honduras are going to be asking that question, uh, what next uh, for the president. The president has denied all allegations that he has been involved with drug traffickers and specifically the allegation that came out in this trial that his election campaigns received money from drug traffickers. One of the most serious allegations was that El Chapo Guzman himself uh, delivered $1 million in cash mm. to Tony Hernandez. Wow. Um, and I want to ask you, um, Adams, how important a drug trafficker was he? And what's the, basically the, 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 the evidence that the police have against him? Well, you said in your intro, uh, 220 tons of cocaine. That's a pretty sizable amount of cocaine. Uh, he started out uh, as um, basically somebody who was helping the drug traffickers with their logistics. But uh, allegedly he got so into it uh, that he started to make to manufacture his own cocaine in a drug lab in Colombia and the cocaine was actually stamped with his initials TH and the photograph of a kilo of cocaine with his initials TH uh, supposedly inspired by Tommy Hilfiger um, was introduced as evidence in the case. So uh, he was supplying those drugs to El Chapo's organization to the Sinaloa, Sinaloa cartel. Um, this would make him a pretty substantial player um, uh, particularly obviously in Honduras. And David, last question, um, is Honduras a narco state? Well, Give me a brief uh, answer. In, in, yeah, in, in, in according to this uh, case um, and the guilty verdict, uh, pretty much I think you'd have to say yes. Uh, things have been done to address that in recent years, and so maybe a little bit less now today than it was when Tony Hernandez was operating. Thank you so much. That was David Adams. Thank you. Thank you. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your News, your world, You News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. The state of California has launched an app designed to help alert residents about earthquakes. While the app will only give a short heads up before an earthquake hits, experts says that time can be crucial. Luis Mejid reports. 
This week, children and adults throughout California practice how to react when the next earthquake hits. Thirty years ago, it was real. The Loma Prieta quake destroyed roads, buildings, and killed 63 people in Northern California. And those who survived it, like this San Francisco resident, will never forget those 15 seconds of terror. 30 years have gone by, and the threat to the region remains the same. The this week, California uh, Governor Gavin Newsom unveiled an app that is supposed to give residents a few seconds of warning before the earth starts to shake. We're announcing the ability for millions and millions of Californians to download an app, MyShake. Download the app, MyShake. If millions of people do that, we will have points of contact the ability to crowdsource information, the likes of which no country in the world has advanced. But the app is not protection. Today, like yesterday, the best way to cope is to prepare. The next big earthquake could happen in 30 years or in the next 30 seconds. Science cannot tell us exactly when it will happen. But the only thing they know is that it will. In San Francisco, Luis Mejid, U News. A woman's place is in space, but first, a rideshare company is rolling out new safety features. Let's now go to Annabelle Sedano with today's Tech Report. Hi there, and we begin with this. Uber has debuted a text to 911 feature on its phone app in the Los Angeles County, allowing riders and drivers to quickly and discreetly contact law enforcement in the event of an emergency. The service is being implemented on a pilot basis in L.A. County, Minnesota, and Indiana. But Uber officials said they plan to expand it to other jurisdictions that support text to 911 technology. And a new study suggests that prolonged exposure to blue light, such as that which emanates from your phone, computer, and household fixtures, could be affected in your longevity even if it's not shining in your eyes. New research suggests that the blue wavelengths produced by light-emitting diodes damage cells in the brain as well as retinas. And NASA's first all-women spacewalk is underway. Astronauts Christina Koch and Jessica Meir left in the International Space Station for six and a half hours. Meir and Koch will replace a battery unit that never came back on after new lithium-ion batteries were installed on October 11th. They'll be supported by crew members inside the station, and we're, of course, cheering for them here. That was your Daily Dose of Tech News. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.